So what's your favorite part of being sick? What's your favorite part of being sick? Uh, I thought that it was like nothing. I don't ever want to be sick. So I asked my kids this morning, hey, kids, what's your favorite part of being sick? And I just asked two out of four because I knew what the answer was going to continue to be. And both of them said, we get to watch stuff in our bed and we don't have to go to school. I'm like, yeah, but you guys haven't been like really, really sick, right? And they're like, that's okay. We'd still miss school. And I'm like, you don't understand the question, so I'm just going to walk away from you. But what's, you, what's your favorite part of being sick? Uh, mine is clogged ears for sure. Like I love getting on an airplane when I have a head cold because I know when I get off the plane, I'm not going to hear out of my left ear for at least a week. That's my favorite part, right? No, nobody likes being sick. It's not an enjoyable thing. Uh, we would only enjoy the benefits of pretending to be sick. I remember in fifth grade, my mom knows this. I've confessed all of this to her, but I would leave school often in fifth grade. And it was like a power play with my mom and the school. So I would go to the school nurse and I'd be like, I'm sick. She's like, you don't look sick. You don't sound sick. I'm like, oh, I'm sick. And she said, okay, well, just stay here. I'm like, I can't stay here because I'm going to vomit. So I, would, I had already gotten a cup from my classroom, tucked it under my shirt, would bring it into the bathroom, quickly get some water and go and dump water in just in case the nurse followed me in. And so then I'd come back and the nurse would be like, you're definitely sick. I'm like, I told you. And then she'd call my mom. My mom's like, you're not sick. I'm like, I'm sick. Ask the nurse. And, and I, I worked all this out. So I got the benefits of sitting home, watching TV, chilling out while actually not being sick. Because no, none of us like to be sick. We like the benefits sometimes that we get of being sick, but, but we don't like being sick. Most of us uh, assume recovery, though. Like when you get clogged ears, eventually you know that that's probably going to pop and break and it's going to go away. Most of us assume that we're going to get over the cold, the flu is going to pass us, no more diarrhea, like all that stuff. It's going to go bye-bye. Because bodies heal. Healing at that level is pretty normal. We're used to our bodies getting better and getting over common ailments. It's normal. But some conditions that we have make healing less plausible. It puts it in the realm more of impossibility. Let me list a few. If you lose a limb, right? If you lose a limb, it, most of you aren't expecting that to grow back like a gecko's tail, right? That doesn't happen. If you get a brain injury, uh, if you get a severe enough concussion, right, your brain can be injured in such a way that there's actually no healing from that, and you don't expect it. Um, healing seems implausible and impossible when, when thinking about age-related sickness. Uh, two of my grandparents uh, died with dementia and Alzheimer's, right? We weren't expecting them necessarily to get better. We were making them as comfortable as possible for them to die well. Uh, mental health Issues. Some of us don't think we're ever going to be healed from mental health. It's something that's going to stick with us forever. Maybe you've been part of a really bad relationship and you don't know how you're ever going to trust someone again because you've been abused in that relationship. And maybe there's been abuse and you don't know if there's ever going to be healing. And then there's a type of condition that's from birth. So you were born with this. You've known nothing other than this. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. A man who was born with this, this lameness, this inability to, to walk and to, to move himself. And for some of you this morning, this is a reality. Some of you either know and are connected or yourself are experiencing something that you don't expect healing to come from at least in, in this lifetime. And you've accepted it because denying it, there's stages of grieving, right? Denying it's not going to do us any good. We need to mourn it and accept the reality. And some of us have just accepted it. And you've heard sermons about healing or people have come up to you maybe and said, I'd love to pray for you to be healed. And you kind of eye roll and you're like, okay, go ahead. But like the 400 people before you, nothing happened before either. And I've been with people that I, I want to pray with to, to be healed. And I've seen that and they're like, that's great. I'm open to the prayer, but I, I'm weary of it. I'm weary of, of being hopeful that healing is actually going to happen. So before we get into the text this morning, I want to say this. Healing can and will happen. Healing can and will happen. And so that's what we're going to see this morning. 
And, and we need to walk through this carefully, theologically, because some, some groups will say healing will happen. And if it doesn't happen, it's because of you. And that's not what we're going to say this morning. But healing can, it's possible, and will, there's a certainty that healing will happen. So we're in the book of Acts. Jordan explained what the book of Acts was or is. And two weeks ago, we saw the Spirit of God come upon all of the people of God, the 120 people who were gathered together in one room united. And the Holy Spirit comes and fills them with new power and they go out and declare who Jesus is. And the church grows in one day from being 120 people to 3,120 people. Like it's very tiresome thinking about org charts or Slack or Facebook groups or camping. Like how, what do you do with that? And yet we pray, Lord, do that again. Keep doing that. Keep rescuing people. But there's this massive growth. And what happens is that they, they get into community with one another. And Jordan spoke about that last week, that the normal trajectory of the church is that we would be a family of servants on mission, that we would lose our lives for the good of our brothers and sisters within the church and for the city. We speak about brothers and sisters because God calls us a new family that he has put together. And so today we're going we're gonna to... Look at healing. So here we go. Acts chapter 3, verse 2. A lame man from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. So a few things on this verse. Uh, the, the man who was being carried and laid down, people that walked in and out of the temple daily knew who this guy was. They probably knew his name. It's strange that Luke actually doesn't name him. Luke names a lot of people, but he doesn't name who this lame man is. But people for sure knew the man, knew his condition, knew he had been lame from birth, and that there wasn't any hope for him. Like his his cast in life was to be outside of the beautiful gate because he wasn't allowed to enter into the temple because he was lame. So he was a, a reject spiritually in a sense, but he could still benefit from the people coming in to the temple. Now I have a question about this too. This is my, my mind maybe just being curious, but who carried him there and why did they carry him? Now, for sure, they brought him there so that he would receive alms from people. One of the three pillars of the Jewish faith was charity, that people were supposed to be, be kind and generous with others. So almsgiving was a normal thing. He could expect that good Jewish people were going to come in and flip him some sort of coin and provide for him. But why were people bringing him there? If this was my brother, I wouldn't be carrying, I would hope, right? I don't want to set myself up as a good guy here. But I would hope that I'm not carrying him to set him down all day long because he's an extrovert, right? There's other ways to work out your extrovertedness than asking for alms. I would want to take on that responsibility of providing for him. So was he being brought there to be exploited by someone else? I know that people in Montreal are being brought out by people to ask for money because they're being exploited by them. I've talked to some of them before. They're like, I don't keep any of this money. This man that brings me out here keeps all the money, right? It's, it's horrible. So what, there's more to this story potentially than we even know from the text, but we have to stay in the text and we know that the man was lame. So let me jump back a verse, Acts 3, 1. Now, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth Hour. So Peter and John, they're familiar. Uh, they, were, they were part of Jesus' inner circle. He had three, Peter, John, and James. And Peter and John uh, were going up together. They built this friendship. They're going up to pray uh, and for this thing called tamid. This is a daily sacrifice in the temple, an afternoon sacrifice and prayer. Now, Peter and John were messianic, which means they believed that Jesus was the Messiah who had come. There were about 4,000-ish people at that time who believed that. The rest of the Jews who were in the temple didn't believe that the Messiah had yet come. They were waiting on him. So why did Peter and John go to the temple every day? Well, they were witnesses. They wanted to tell and proclaim who Jesus was. So they wanted the crowds. They wanted to be in the places where the most amount of people could hear about who Jesus is and what he's done. So here's the interaction between Peter, John, and the lame man. Acts 3, 3 through 5. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. 
So this is a normal thing. Man sees people coming, asks for money, asks for alms, please give me something. And he was just expecting a little bit to get by. Right? I don't think that the man sitting there was expecting someone to be like, hey, like, how can we work out a salary for you? Every day I'll pay you this much to sit here and do this. He's just expecting a little bit, right? A little bit for food, a little bit for housing, a little bit for whatever. But I just want a little bit to be able to get by. Oftentimes, we as followers of Jesus, we're like this lame man. Some of us don't have a real vibrant relationship with Jesus. Man, when you first understood who Jesus was, you were, you were all in. You were all in, a million percent you were in. But as time has gone on, you, you see Jesus less as the one that you, you anchor and root your soul on. He's become less about your, your object of affection and enjoyment. And he's become, would you help me out a little bit, Jesus? I really need to get this job, Jesus. Could you help me get this job? Because then I won't bother you anymore. If I get enough money, I won't have to ask you for money anymore. I won't have to be dependent anymore. Would you just give me a, a little help? For many of us, this is where we move into. We move from being satisfied, having our affections raised for Jesus, into this transactional thing where we just need Jesus to give us a little help. He becomes an add-on. He becomes like an application on our phone that we forget about until we're scrolling through and we're like, oh yeah, I need to listen to a book because I'm on the metro and I want to talk to people. I have an app for that. And this is how we use Jesus so often. He becomes like an app that we pull up when we can't be sufficient on our own. And actually, we're not sure that he's sufficient for what we're asking for, but we've run out of options. For the, for the man, for the man, he receives disappointment immediately. Look at what Peter says. Peter says, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. When you're asking someone for something and they say, oh, I don't have that, but let me give you something else. It's like, oh, I'm reminded of uh, an office episode, right? How many of you like the office? I don't care how many of you do, but I love the office. And, uh, and Michael Scott Right, makes his promise to this, to this group of kids that he's going to pay for them all to go to university. Now I know who likes the office. right? And he does this a long time uh, before. And, uh, and then it gets to the point. I think they're called Scott's kids. right? There you go, Scott's tots. This is the most reaction I get. I talk about Jesus. Mm, mm. Michael Scott's like, yeah, bring it. Amen. Amen. Scott's tots. I know that. I know Anyway, not a rebuke. It's my last Sunday. You don't have to deal with me for a while. Uh, but they, they do this dance. Hey, Mr. Scott, what you gonna do? What you gonna do? Making dreams come true, right? And then he's just sitting there, like, with his assistant, Aaron, and she's, like, into it. And he's like, ah, I know I can't pay for these kids to go to school anymore. And, and so he says, ah, I can't pay for you, but, but I, I got you this. What did he get him? Laptop batteries, look at that, trivia, office trivia, amazing. Laptop batteries, right? He hands about laptop batteries instead of paying for their tuition, right? That's what we often expect. It's like silver and gold I don't have, but here's a laptop battery for you. It's like, I don't have a laptop that fits this, right? This is PC, I'm Mac, why are you PC? No wonder why you can't pay for my tuition, right? Whatever. Oh man, that stinks, huh? Again, reminder, I'm leaving soon, okay? I'm leaving soon. But he receives disappointment, it seems. And here's the thing. Jesus won't always give you what you ask for. Sometimes we're disappointed with Jesus because we've put our idea of what he's going to do into our relationship with him. He hasn't told us that. So we're disappointed because our ideas of what should happen don't happen. We've set up this little magical land where Jesus has his thoughts and he's going to pay for them to do these things but he didn't create that plan. And so we become disappointed with him and hardened with him because our ideas of what he should do is broken. In John chapter six, Jesus multiplies bread and fish, feeds 5,000 men and everyone that's there, like massive thing. Hebrew happy meals for everyone, it's crazy. And then the next day, they, they come back and find Jesus and they're like, Jesus, we're, like, we're, we're here for you, the bread basically, feed us. We're here for, for what you have to offer. And Jesus says, oh yeah, you ate my bread yesterday. Well, now eat my body, eat my flesh and drink my blood. And if you can't do that, you can't follow me. And they're like, 
no, like, you know, we're vegan. <laughs> we're not about that. We don't want to eat you. Uh, we're going to leave because we don't understand this. That they had a, a sugar daddy Jesus in their mind. That he was going to be their provider. He was going to be the one that, that gives everything that they need. Bread every day, bread on time, fish when they want it. And Jesus said, no, 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 you need to consume me. Not, not this bread. I'm what you're looking for. And they leave disappointed because he's offering them eternal things and they were going to be satisfied with a mini meal. Acts moves on. Acts 3.6. Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. You know what the words this guy was not expecting to hear that day? That. Rise up and walk. Get up, lame man. This sounds like a taunt. Right? Come on, buddy. Walk it out. Like, like it sounds like Peter's making fun of him unless there's actually power for healing to be done. The healing is promised through Jesus Christ of Nazareth, son of God, one who stories are going around about that has risen from the dead and appeared to many people at one time. In this name, get up, rise, and walk. And you know the only condition for this to happen is that the man would respond and do that. How many of you would get up? I'm sitting here this past week thinking, putting myself in this guy's place, and I'm like, I'm probably not going to try it. I've tried to get up before. I know what this, what this looks like and how it goes. I already have a life of humiliation. Right? I thought at first, what, what's it going to cost this guy to try and get up? I, I thought at first, not very much, but in fact, it would cost this man a lot. He's, he's potentially going to be humiliated again. If he tries to get up and it doesn't work and he falls, he could harm himself even more. He had been defined for so long by a label and situation. Lame man, beggar. This is my cast in life. This is the the part I'm supposed to play. This is what I'm defined by. How could it be anything different? Maybe this is how his family got income. If I get up and this actually works, what am I going to do anymore? How's my family, if he had one, how are they going to be provided for? But there's something else that was going to have to he was going to have to work through. He was going to have to lose his unbelief of supernatural healing being able to take place. Said positively, he was going to have to believe that full healing was possible. He was going to have to enter into a realm that's very strange. And here's the, the reality is that potential for healing for the guy was right there. All he has to do is respond. The reality for us is that the potential for healing is is there. It's present. So why don't we experience healing? Now, I don't just mean physical healing. I'm talking relational healing, healing from abuse, healing from from wrong thoughts and, and wrong ideas. Why don't we experience it? Well, for many of us, we've developed a worldview that doesn't allow for that to take place. We, we've, we've developed an, an idea of ourselves in, in the future. And it always includes our trauma, our abuse, our past, our relational things, our physical sickness. We, we can't see a future without that. We've been defined so long by our labels that we can't imagine a world or a time here and now without those labels being most true. See, for many of us, our labels have ordered our lives. So we have a box of possibilities and limitations in front of us, and that's all we can choose from because there's no box of healing that could get injected into our treasure chest of limitations. But here's what we need to note in this text, and we're going to come back to in a minute for us, is that healing begins in Jesus' name. Peter wasn't saying, hey, look at me. Look how awesome I am. Watch my hand trick. When I'm done waving my hand, you're going to stand up. It was in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. 
His kingdom, Jesus' kingdom and his authority breaks into lives that were categorized by labels and limitations. Jesus Christ loves to break into realms of impossibility and make them possible. I mean, just two things real quick. Jesus was born of a virgin. If anyone else tells you that, they're a liar, right? But Jesus Christ was born of a virgin. Somehow he breaks into the realm of impossibility. Jesus Christ rose from the dead. So his beginning, his end and his new beginning, the only thing that's natural is his end, that he died. But the beginnings, the two beginnings of Jesus' life, those are impossible. This is the realm that Jesus loves to work in. Jesus loves to break limitations and replace labels with new ones. And so here's what happens in the story. Acts 3, 7 and 8 says this. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. Calm down, buddy. Don't be so excited. Like, it's just a healing. It's like, from birth, haven't been able to walk. I'm sure that they, they had their, their you know, first century fixes of how to help him walk. Nothing was working. He had to be carried all throughout life. And all of a sudden, new creation breaks in. Hear this. This isn't just a little healing. This is new creation breaking in to our reality. This is the, the illustration Jordan and I were talking about it this past week. And something like this, okay? We believe in a God who knows all things, is in control of all things, and that everything has been, has been planned out. And God is now working his plan out. But he, he uses us to, to accomplish that purpose, which is a great privilege and responsibility. But the picture is like this, that God's kingdom is, is like, you know, this connected dots picture. And, and each thing that we get to see like this it is a new, a new dot being connected to another dot. And as, as more people are, are meeting Jesus and as healings take place and as unbelief is conquered by belief and Jesus' rule and reign is coming into places where it wasn't before, more dots are being connected and, and the, these, this picture is being colored in by all nations, tribes, and tongues. This is a brand new thing that's happening. There, there's a rare word. Uh, I'm not a Greek scholar, but this, this rare word, halamai, is, is found in the Septuagint of Isaiah. So we have the Old Testament that's written mostly in, in Hebrew. And uh, it was translated into Greek so that we could have the whole Bible in the Greek language, the way that we have our Bible in the English language. And so this word halamai was used in Isaiah 35, verse 6. And it's, it's a word that's not used very much. And here we see it used. Then shall the lame man leap. There it is, the leap. Then the lame man shall leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. This is talking about when God comes to reign and rule. When he enters in to human history and the messianic age, which means when Jesus rightfully takes his kingship, these things are going to be normal. And we see it breaking in in Acts 3. This would not have been lost on those who are seeing it take place. And the readers, this word would have meant a lot because it means the kingdom of God is breaking in to death and sickness and despair. No longer is that label going to rule, but Jesus is going to rule. It's happening. It's happening. It's like uh, the Lion, Witch, and the Water of the movie uh, where you see like all of a sudden uh, the, the glaciers and the ice blocks starting to break off and you see, you know, Father Christmas as he's coming through and you see the snow starting, starting to melt. This is what this healing is. That death is losing. That sin is losing its grip. That this kingdom of God is beginning to win. Let me go back to this. Not only is he leaping, and, and dancing and praising God, but he was able to enter the temple, something that he was not able to do before. He was now spiritually accepted. 
not just by God, but by the community. He could now worship and celebrate with the community of God, not outside the beautiful gate, but he was now the beautiful one of God going into the gate because of what Jesus had done for him. This is the theme of Acts, that people are being accepted spiritually because of Jesus. And here's what happens. Acts 3, 9 through 11, all the people saw him walking and praising God. And they recognized him as the one who had sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. Everyone saw this. They were amazed because rarely does real healing happen. You read like books on healing or um, you know, self-help books, and most of those are Band-Aid fixes. They're, they're not good to last the rest of your life, and yet what they're seeing here is a man who, who hadn't harmed himself and it was just being fixed. It was a man who was, who was harmed. There was no hope for him. And yet Jesus breaks in and heals him. Real healing is rare. Jesus wants our whole life to be changed by his healing. Jesus isn't out to just help just a little bit. He doesn't want to be an add-on. He doesn't want to be an app. He wants to heal our whole life. So how? How does Jesus bring healing? We see in Acts 3.12, when Peter saw it, when Peter saw everyone gathering around, he addressed the people, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety? We have made him walk. It's not by our power. It's not by by our devotion to the Lord that this guy got up and is is walking. It's because of Jesus. He's going to explain that in just a minute. There's, There's a thing called the prosperity gospel. It's garbage. Absolute rubbish. That's not the gospel we're talking about. That's not the good news we're talking about. There are people who will say, if you just have enough faith, you will be healed. Well, that's anti-biblical. That's against the text. There are men and women preaching, proclaiming, teaching this garbage all over the world. And it's flourishing in some of the poorest places around the world because it's saying this. It's like the lottery. If you just give us your money... You sow seeds of hope and faith by giving us your money uh, and you have enough faith, then healing will happen. But when healing doesn't, do you know what they do? They say, oh, it's your fault. You didn't have enough faith. You didn't give enough money. If you just play the lottery a little bit more, then maybe you'll win, right? How many people win the lottery? Like almost no one. I've never met someone that's won the lottery. I, I don't know many people that play the lottery either, so my chances are very low. But still, like... It just doesn't happen often. And yet every time you go and buy a lottery ticket, it's like today's going to be the day. It's like $4 billion today. It's like, oh, what would I do with $4 billion? That'd be crazy. We plan a lot of churches, but still don't play. But few people win. Few people win. This is what the prosperity gospel teaches. And this is not what the Bible teaches. There are people like Joyce Meyer and T.D. Jakes and Joel Osteen. And I would just say that don't read their stuff. Don't buy their books. Don't listen to their podcasts. Because the stuff that they're, they're teaching sounds so good. And, and I'm just calling out these names because if you go to Indigo and you go to the Christian section, like these three people dominate the bookshelves. It's like, you know, Tim Keller has two books and then you have all of Joel Osteen's. And, and you see his smile, like it changes in every one of them. It's like, it gets better and better and better. It's because you're buying his books, stop. Like it'll get worse if you don't buy the books. Then we'll see what real prosperity looks like in that. Um, but it's not, they're, they're not doing any good. It's breaking people because they offer out promises to people that God hasn't offered out. And then they condemn people for it. This is garbage. Peter says, Apostle Peter says, it's not because of us, and it's not because of him. He's healed because of Jesus. That's it. We're not the source of healing. And Peter 
takes an opportunity to preach a little sermon. Let me give you a few verses of it. He says, The God of Abraham, Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over. He's still on that. Acts 2, he's like, you did this. He's still on this kick. Whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one, Jesus. And you asked for a murderer to be granted to you, Barabbas. And you killed the author of life, Jesus, whom God raised from the dead. To this, we are witnesses. Now, his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man the perfect health in the presence of you all. Jesus is the source. It's through Jesus' death. As Jesus went to the cross he, he hung and he bore the full weight of your sin. Your sin is any thought, action, deed, motive, impulse. That's against God. That's sin. You know what the penalty of sin is? Death. Any sin. The smallest lie is worthy of, of death. You're imperfect. You're unholy. Yet what Jesus does is he comes and he goes to the cross and he becomes unholiness. The, the holy one becomes unholiness. The sinless one becomes sin. The pure one becomes impure for you and I. We put Jesus on the cross. Our sin brought him there. He goes to the cross and by, by his death, by, by the beating that he endured, by the punishment that he endured, the prophet Isaiah said, by his stripes, we are healed. That by Jesus' death is payment for us. And then his resurrection that he got up out of the grave three days later, conquering the source of sickness, which is sin. Jesus conquers sin, Satan, death, and hell in his resurrection from the grave to show that he is the strongest, he is a powerful one, he's the author of life and new life. That the grave isn't strong enough to hold Jesus down. That anyone who will receive Jesus' work on their behalf will be healed spiritually and eternally. Anyone who will receive Jesus' work on the cross for them, you can receive forgiveness, a new start, receive the Spirit of God, a promised inheritance, and and a, a satisfaction with Jesus. Anyone can receive spiritual and eternal healing by looking at Jesus now. So at the beginning, I said, anyone, anyone can be healed. This is the healing that's put out to us. This is our greatest need. I don't know what you walk in with, what inability or deficiency or label or whatever, but your greatest need is to be healed spiritually and eternally, to get a new heart, to be brought into the family of God. So how do we receive this? How do we receive this forgiveness? Peter says in Acts 3.19, repent, turn, turn from the way that you're going and turn back to Jesus or turn to Jesus. Turn from your sin and turn to your savior. Turn from your death and turn to life. He will save you. Repent, turn back that your sins may be blotted out that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of the holy prophets long ago. We repent, we turn, then we receive the spirit. These times of refreshing, the spirit is given to us as a down payment. We make a down payment on all kinds of things. Make a down payment on our house. Why? Because we're saying, we want this house and this is a promise that we're going to pay back all that we owe on this thing. People make a down payment on their thing they're buying off you from Kijiji. Like, hold this thing. They make a down payment when they rent, even though it's illegal to do that here. But we make a down payment all the time for things. God makes a down payment. He puts a spirit into us to say, I'm going to finish the work I've begun. This is how you know that I'm going to do it. So we can be healed spiritually and eternally. Maybe you're here today and you need to be healed spiritually and eternally. Maybe you need Jesus in this way. I need Jesus to rescue me. 
Ask him, he will right now. He'll do it. And spiritually, eternally, you're healed. I can't promise anything for this life, physical, relational, abuse. I can't promise any healing. But I can promise this, that Jesus can heal that too. Jesus can heal that too. He's able to heal. And these people were witnesses of this. Peter said, you're witnesses of this healing. You're witnesses that God is on the move in this new way. And here's the reality that happened. People saw this. They heard Peter. It says, many of those who had heard the word of Peter believed. And the number of the men came to about 5,000. Man, the church just keeps like blowing up. How in this instance? They saw a man get healed. They heard about Jesus who did that through people. And he said, I want in. I want in on Jesus. I need him. So God's heart is to heal. God's heart is to heal. His promise is that he's going to heal all things. He's going to reconcile all things together in Christ. We, we know about from the, the letter to the Ephesians and the letter to the Colossians, two books in the New Testament, the Bible, that we hear this promise of healing. We see in the book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible, that there's going to be leaves of healing for the nations that are present in the kingdom of God. That there's healing that's going to be happening forever and ever and ever. Like God is healing. And one day death is going to be no more. One day God, the book of Isaiah says that God is going to lift up the glass of death, drink it down, slam it on the table, and death will be no more. He's going to wipe away the last tear from our eye. Jesus is going to heal us. Everyone who submits their need to Jesus by faith, you will be healed. And he's able to heal now. But here's the thing. It's on his timetable. So I'm going to do a a longer application time answering this question. Why doesn't God heal everyone? I'm sure you've, you've had this question before. Why doesn't God heal everyone? If you believe and we believe in a sovereign God that knows everything, has all power, all capability, all authority, why doesn't he just heal everyone now? Let your kingdom come in its fullness now. Why don't you do that? I've prayed that recently. Lord, just do that. Rescue Quebec now. Change hearts in Quebec now. Heal these people in this place now. Why won't you do this? Now, I already said he will. And that's important for us to keep in perspective as we explore this. He will heal. But if we look back at the life of Jesus, Jesus didn't even heal everyone. Jesus healed some. He healed many, but he didn't heal all. Jesus went through towns where he could have healed people and he kept going. Why? Jared Wilson, an author, theologian, says this, the reason Christ came was not primarily to make sick people well, but to make dead people live. The primary focus isn't to take away your cold. It's not to fix up your feet. But God does care about that. That's the thing. If you tell me I can't come into work because I have a man cold, I'm like, you're a pansy, get in here, right? But God actually cares. He's like, no, I care that you have a man cold, right? He has compassion on that. Um, But his primary focus is on the dead people coming to life. Spiritually dead people living. This is his focus. So why doesn't God heal all? Well, I've already said that some have a weird and unbiblical theology. That it's it's our fault if he doesn't heal. And that's just untrue and damning. So let me say a few things. Uh, One, and these are going to be harder to hear. I understand that. Some of you have real things that you've been begging God to heal you from for a long time. And this is hard. But these things are true. And it's better to have hard, true things that lead you to life than soft lies that lead you to death. So let me bring you to Jesus. God will use all of our circumstances for witness and dependence on him. You know how many stories I've heard about cancer patients who love Jesus, who are sitting in receiving chemotherapy, going through the treatment, and the person next to them ends up becoming a Christian. Why? 
because they're sitting having cancer, this horrible thing, but they're sitting together and they're talking about the hope and hopelessness. And over time, this person comes to know Jesus. Jesus will use all of our circumstances for his witness to go out and for our dependence on him. Jesus isn't interested in making you independent of him. Maturity actually means that you and I grow more dependent on him. And at times, Jesus... You see throughout scripture, sometimes Jesus touches people in a way that they, they can't walk right anymore. Jacob, who's Israel, right? God touched his hip and probably he walked with a limp for the rest of his life. And it's like, oh, yes, I'm reminded that I need you, Lord. I'm not dependent on myself. But God will use all circumstances for witness and dependence on him. It's okay for you to be upset. It's okay for you to say, Lord, I'm not really happy about this injury. I'm not happy about this thing. This doesn't make life easy. So would you please put me in opportunities for me to witness about who you are and to depend on you? Please help me understand this because I don't get it. God's a big God. He doesn't need for you to organize your prayers all nice. Oh, Lord, Father, who... Like, you don't have to get all your theology straight as you're praying. You can just throw it out there. I, I said some pretty harsh things this past week. I had a hard two couple or a couple days. And the, the prayers that I was praying, I'm like, I've never said that before in prayer. I'm thankful that you're a God that's big enough to handle that. And that you love me and you don't just throw me out because I've said that. Secondly, healing might require more of us than our problems did. We pray and beg for healing so often, but we don't know that if we're healed, it might bring us more problems than if we weren't healed. And I'm not saying it's not a reason for us to not, I don't even know which tense I'm in anymore. All I'm saying is that our healing, if we get healed, it can bring us more problems than before. Think about the lame man. He'd been lame from birth. Now it's like, okay, buddy, now go get a job, find a skill. And by the way, you're gonna have to witness. You're gonna have to steward your witness for the rest of your life. Because every time you go and buy bread, it's like, hey, Weren't you that lame man? It's like, oh, this story again. We become so jaded to even the way that God has changed our lives. It's like, oh, if I have to tell my story of how Jesus broke into my apartment and changed my life again, oh, done. It's like, wait, wait a second, Jesus changed your life. That's, that's gonna be celebrated for all of eternity. There's nothing better to talk about. But this is a reality. Healing will require more of us than our problems did. Because healing is this glorious intrusion of kingdom come that comes with your will be done. So we pray, your kingdom come, heal me. We get healed. Now it's like, your will be done. You healed me. Why did you heal me? What do you want me to do with this healing? Because I guarantee it's not for you to sit inside your living room crocheting God healed me for like on this date and hanging things all over your apartment or place so you can be reminded of it. It's so you can crochet things if you're into that thing. I don't know if you are, but that you can give those things out like God healed me on this date. Let me tell you that story. God heals us so that we can be a witness to him and so that we can experience his power over certain things that, that we felt powerless to. Like, we can't defeat this thing. The Lord's like, ah, I can. And he brings healing in this moment. But the reality is, is that we're stewards of our healing. And we, we have to, we have to tell of the healer who can help. Our stories of healing force us into that. What else are we gonna tell? What better news do we have? Third, healing doesn't necessarily make life easier. It appears to us that it should, right? If only the Lord would remove this thing from me, then life would be so much easier. And that's just not true. Some of you have said, if only I get a job and I have some money. And then you're like, oh, now I have money. Now mom and dad won't pay for my stuff anymore. Like maybe I, like I'll go beg again. Like if only I had a spouse, and my spouse is amazing, but for some of you, that might be, you know, an issue. Uh, if only, like we have all these if onlys then, but then when we get that thing, we find out that life is not better. It's actually harder often. And we set that up with healing. If only God would heal. 
If only God would heal me, then, then, I'd, then I'd be generous. Then I'd go and talk to people. Oh, yeah? Okay. Boom. Healed. But I'm an introvert, Lord. I don't know what to do, Lord. Right? Use my brother Aaron. I don't have a brother Aaron. That's about Moses in the Old Testament. Or I'm going crazy. This is why they're really asking me to go on sabbatical. So. But we have a father. We have a, a God, God the Father, who is all-knowing, all-wise, and all-loving. And even though it's really hard as we're sitting in this already, like God is already ruling and reigning, but not yet do we see it to the fullest extent, it's hard for us to trust him in the middle of it, but that's what he wants. It's hard to trust him when we're sick, but that's what he wants. It's hard for, to trust him when we get a cancer. It's hard to trust him when we have broken relationships. It's hard to trust him when we lose a child. It's hard to trust him when we want a child and can't have one. It's hard to trust him when Mother's Day is so painful. It's hard to trust him in all these things. But he says, I'm a dad that loves you and for you. I sent my son to die in your place and rise for you. Trust me. I have your best in front of you. and You can't see it now in all of its fullness, but trust me. He might not heal as we want now. So we're told to pray and ask. He might not heal as, as we want now, but we're told to, to pray and to ask. The book of James says this, if anyone, um, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church, the pastors. Let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of the faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Maybe some of you, you're, like, you're not experiencing healing because you actually need to repent. You have relational healing that needs to be done. And you're like, I, I wanna be made right with this person, but it's actually you that's sinning. You're, you're bitter against them. You're holding a grudge with them. You're unwilling to, to remove that. So it's like, well, if they come to me, then sure, I'll forgive them, but not till then. Ah, that's, that's the sin that present, prevents healing in that relationship. It's your bitterness. So maybe you need to be healed of that today. Is there an area of life that you need to repent of where God can bring healing to you today? Major areas, major areas. Because the gift of healing was purchased by Jesus. Look at 1 Corinthians 12. Briefly, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given gifts of healing by one Spirit. So the reality is, is that the gifts are available to us. Gifts of healing the Lord gives to the church at times. At times. But if, if that's here, would, would you receive it? Or would you sit like the lame man and say, nah, I'm, I'm good. I have life the way that I am. I'm fine living it this way. I'm not ready to change. So what label or situation has defined you? What have you been defined by? Has it been disease? Has it been relational hurt? Is it disability or abuse, deficiency, or an area of impossibility in your mind that God could never, ever do that? What label have you sat under? Here's the label that God wants to give to you. Child of God. You're not an orphan. You're a child of God. You can be a child of God. You are beloved. You're beloved. You're the apple of of God's eye. Apple of his eye. You are forgiven. You were his enemy and now you're forgiven by him. Your new label is desired. You feel like nobody desires you in this world. And you are desired by God. You are called new creation. New creation. The old is past, the new has come. Put on the new self, remove the old. New creation. And you are called healed. Isaiah 53, 5. He was pierced. Jesus was pierced for our transgression, crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was a chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. Do you need to be healed this morning? Do you need to at least ask God to heal you? Our city needs healing. It's cruel for us to move through all of life, 
not telling others about the healer and that healing is possible. And many of us don't pray for people to be healed because we're like, oh man, what if the Lord doesn't heal? We don't have to worry about that. He's a big God. He can handle that himself. We don't have to give all of the theological ins and outs as to what might happen if this, it's like before we pray for someone, remember, it might not happen. It's like, oh, that's great. Like great way to go into prayer, right? You might get the worst. It's like, you're going for a drive today, but you might get killed. The airbags might, but hey, go for the drive. We'll try it. It's like, no, but you might be healed. And one day you will be healed completely. Everything will be done. So we're going to respond today by this. Uh, we've asked our, our pastors and some of our pastoral apprentices to, to be praying uh, all week long for you and, and to actually come and fill this whole front space. And, and it took a lot of humility on the part of, of this man who took up Peter's hand and, and was, was pulled up. And if you're going to be healed, there's a humility to it. Of you coming and saying, yeah, I need I need prayer. Uh, I need to be healed. I need this made right. So I'm submitting myself uh, to this process of begging God for this. So we're going to have pastors available all throughout the singing. I'm going to actually ask you guys to come down now and stand there. I want you to be all across there as much as possible. Uh, We believe that, that God gives gifts of healing. I don't think that anyone is walking around with the gift of healing all the time dangling over them. Uh, but that at times God gives gifts of healing to people. And so if you're like, yeah, you know, I really believe that actually God is asking me to pray for, for people to be healed today. Would you come down and, and talk to me? Because I'd love to have you, you pray for this. That, um, and we want to pray for, for, for the Spirit to bring healing. But know this, as, as we're sent out into our city, if, if you're healed... If you're healed, you're called to be a steward of that healing, to go out and and show and tell of the great God who breaks in and heals you. And maybe you need to be healed like you need to meet him for the first time today. So I'd invite you to come down as well and talk to one of us. So I'm gonna pray for us. Uh, We are ambassadors of reconciliation and healing uh, to the city. We become stewards of our healing and King Jesus loves, loves to heal people. So I want to I wanna pray for us as, as we begin to respond. Lord, thank you that you are here. You are omnipresent. You are everywhere. Um, but Lord, we've been praying all week that you would heal people. Uh, we've been praying that you would heal relationships, that you would heal um, areas of mental health, that you would heal uh, physical ailments, that you would heal those who are sick. And Lord, we don't presume anything. Uh, Lord, all of this, if, if anything happens, it's because of you, Jesus. It's not because of us. It's not because we prayed with all the right words or said the right mantra or danced the right dance. There's none of that. Only in you can we be healed. And yet, some of us are here and we need healing. So would you do that? Would you make us a humble people? Lord, don't allow for people to, to sit and stay where they are if, if this is what they need today. Allow us to respond according to, to what it is that you're calling us to. Uh, Lord, we need you. Our city needs you. Would you make us people that are glad to go and be uh, showers and tellers, declarers and demonstrators of what you've done, Jesus, in this world, to heal us spiritually, eternally, and that you have the power to even heal now. So we love you and we need you for everything. Help us to, to know how to respond to you well. Amen.